Hey, this is Nick DiMatteo from Music Is Not A Genre. I just wanted to take a minute to talk to you about the service I use to record and distribute my podcasts. If you haven't heard about Anchor, let me tell you from experience, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Here's why. It's free. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. So please take a moment out. If you are planning to create, record, and distribute podcasts, take a look at Anchor. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Hey, I'm Nick DiMatteo, and welcome to video number 85 and audio season four, episode 26 of Music is Not a Genre. Thank you, as always, for listening and watching. And don't forget, you can support this podcast at patreon.com slash music is not a genre for as little as $5 a month. You can support the audio version of this podcast at anchor.fm slash music is not a genre. And as always, my YouTube hub, the public hub, is youtube.com slash Nick DiMatteo. Side note here, I am working on a home base for all things music is not a genre. Audio, video, text, everything you could possibly want, even timestamps, certain salient points that I make in these podcasts. It will be on my website, nickdimatteo.com, if you'd like a preview. I am not done, nowhere near done, but if you'd like a preview, Go to nickdimatio.com slash podcast. I'm not even going to put the link. So if you're listening, you know, check it out. Uh, if not, I will announce when that is complete and ready to go. Uh, as always, appreciate all of your patronage in any way, shape, or form. Let's get to it this week. Death is Dumb, Volume 8, Nirvana, Reopening the Heartbreak-Shaped Box. So first of all, let's, let's say one general thing and then one more specific and then one even more specific. One is when you're talking about death and when you're talking about the death of an artist, one whose work is emotional for many people, it's always going to be a bit, uh, you know, tricky and touchy and, and sensitive. When you're talking about anything to do with grunge music... I think there's an entire kind of body of expected topics that you will get into as far as grunge and death. And when you're talking about Nirvana, I mean, that's the, you can, you can debate which band from that era you like better and et cetera, et cetera. But as far as epitomizing grunge and that era, I think Nirvana is it. I think they're at the top. And again, I'm not saying top as far as they were the best quality. I don't make comparisons like that. All of the bands were very different from each other. But as far as kind of quintessential grunge era band, you know, Nirvana is it. It's, it's what you would think of. Now, saying all of that, I want everyone listening. I want you there listening and watching to understand that a lot of what you might expect 
uh, me or someone to get into when they're talking about nirvana, I'm not going to get into. First of all, because it's been done to death. Uh, no pun intended there. And second of all, because uh, there, are more, there are more important things to talk about than the, the swirl of controversy and suppositions around grunge, around nirvana. I am, uh, I am not even going to talk uh, about the circumstances surrounding Kurt Cobain's death. I'm not going to talk about the so-called controversy with Courtney Love and all the things that are ancient history now. And, you know, things that are history doesn't mean that they're not still important, but to my mind, these things are significantly less important than the music itself, than the legacy. Uh, so, you know, if you are looking for a discography of Nirvana, album by album breakdown, what are some great songs, a uh, history of how they started and where they came from and, you know, Pen Capchu or whatever their old names were, or if you're looking for kind of a post-mortem, uh, pun intended there, of what happened after Nirvana, you know, the band died and what came out of that. If you're looking for any of that, you can stop listening, stop watching right now and find it anywhere. You can find it on, you know, Wikipedia. You can find it probably plenty of other podcasts. You can find it in articles and all that, articles from the period, uh, articles that, you know, hindsight articles and all of that. That's not what this is going to be. The reason why I do these Death is Dumb uh, episodes, this, all these volumes here, is because I believe that. I, you know, and I know it's against all logic and reason and it's against nature, but I do believe death is dumb no matter how it happens, whether it is self-inflicted or accidental or in any way tragic. Uh, you can live a super, super long life. I had a great aunt uh, in the past year or so to die who was um, a couple years over 100, lived a life, right? Still tragic, still dumb to me, you know? And I guess that's why I'm into, you know, fantasy and sci-fi. But, uh, you know, the other, the other reason I do this Death is Dumb series is to put a spotlight on the fact, and I've said this in some ways before, that music in general is something very personal to everyone. And uh, you know what? Not everyone. There are people, again, I've said this too, I don't understand for whom music is not very personal. That's cool too. But if you're listening to this, watching this, chances are music is very personal to you. And specific artists and types of music and songs are very personal to people. And I have chosen these first eight volumes of Death is Dumb because all eight of these artists were very personal to me. I will be continuing the Death is Dumb series beyond this with artists that were also very significant and who, whom I admired and all of that, but who may be less personal to me. And at the same time, their death still had a significant impact and, and certainly their life and career and work had a significant impact. And I'm saying all this in particular now because uh, when I envisioned this Death is Dumb series, it, it came out of, okay, first of all, the death of Adam 
Schlesinger, which was super untimely, super tragic, COVID era and all that, which we're still in. And that's what prompted me. But really, it was two artists that I had kind of in the back of my head, three, who I was like, I just, it, it, it hurts me still to this day that they're dead. And that would be uh, John Lennon, Prince, and Kurt Cobain. And many, and again, many more. I've done so many already. I've done, you know, Chris Cornell and Scott Weiland and Lane Staley and all of that. And we'll continue, as I said, to do that. I've been putting this one off for quite a while because of the the how well known the death is and again all the every you know all of the ideas and facts and fiction surrounding all of this and again some suppositions and partly because I didn't know what to say I didn't know what new to say uh and I'm still not sure that I do so you know flying by the seat of our pants here keep listening keep watching you'll see where this heads and so will I I mean I do have notes you know but uh they're they're scant and I'm gonna start here back in 1994 I was still living in the Philadelphia area in South Jersey uh, at the time in a town uh, called Voorhees. There was a great mall there, which is somewhat of a ghost town now, as many malls are. And a couple of years before that, when alternative rock and, and you know things shifted from being 1980s to 1990s, which if you know anything about culture at all, a decade's you know, kind of zeitgeist and influence and, and, and culture and the things that make up that decade tend to linger longer than the decade does. So it even, and the decade coming tends to start earlier than you would think. So if there's an overlap there, so a perfect example uh, would be this right here, which is if you listen to lots of music, popular music in particular, from the first couple of years of 1990, you will be surprised at how much it sounds like the 1980s. Uh, and yet at the same time, you had bands who would define the 1990s, whether in rock or hip hop or, you know, country, any, any you know, the dance, the electronic, who started in the 1980s, but either weren't popular or hadn't kind of morphed into what they would become. And Nirvana was certainly one of them. Well, what happened, if you were alive then and old enough to remember, and if not, that's why I'm telling you, is that in 19, uh, in early 90s, there was a seismic shift to the point where bands who thought they had a, a long-term thing going ended up being crushed out of the mainstream so quickly that their head was spinning and they didn't know where to turn. Uh, a couple bands, a few bands were able to shift and had their ear to the ground and kind of incorporated new ideas and, and, and evolved, which is the important thing. But many bands who were working on new albums prior to, never mind, I'm pointing here for those of you who can't see, and, and I am going to talk about that baby on the cover, uh, but, uh, you know, Bands who had been working on albums before Nevermind came out 
but who didn't put out the albums until after Nevermind came out, in many cases saw those albums tank because they were still using 1980s ideas. And there's nothing wrong with that. You know, it's very possible you could listen to those out of context and say, that's actually a pretty damn good album. But at the time, when that shift from heavy reverb and kind of, you know, neo-glam bands and hair metal and all of that stuff uh, so quickly went to, I'm, you know, in honor of them wearing the, the flannel here and, and very like street level gritty to the point of, as we know, it becoming a caricature of itself, but coming from a very honest place, which is I want to strip this stuff down. And I talked about this, the Alice in Chains episode where they had some origin in the glam and hair metal, both in sound and style and ended up, you know, morphing into what they would become, uh, even before, you know, nevermind hit those bands who didn't were, were in for such a rude awakening that there were many of them are, were quoted as saying it came out of nowhere and we didn't know how to pivot and the, and the album tanked and et cetera, et cetera, you know, and, and hindsight isn't always twenty twenty, but I think it is in this case. Well, during that era, in 1992, in the Philadelphia area, a station, a radio station, uh, look it up, kids, radio, uh, debuted, which I think, I believe I read was an offshoot of a station from Long Island, uh, and I think it was simulcast for a while, though they did add some local uh, DJs, and it's, it was called WDRE, and I was very pleased to find that there are some groups online that, that are still kind of fans of DRE and talking about it. And that's, I think, what prompted me to add this into this particular podcast and also because it's related. And that only lasted uh, from 92 to 97, which just shows how quickly things shifted. And it was partly because DRE was conceived as a radio station for, in a sense, the underground, for the alt-rock, the, the modern rock, the college rock, the grunge, and the things that were not, and even beyond rock in many cases, uh, certain kinds of hip-hop and things like that, and, and electronic music that weren't being played by mainstream rock stations, classic rock stations, uh, or pop stations, or any of that. It might have been played by college stations, and that was about it. Well, by the time, you know, within a couple of years, all of this stuff was being played by pop stations, so DRE couldn't figure out what its purpose was, and it shifted and tried to figure it out, and eventually it just didn't work. And I was very sad to see it go, because it was a place, you know, to discover new music. And when are you able to do that with radio these days, unless you're so out of touch that everything you know you you find on a pop or rock radio station or hip hop or R and B radio station is new to you, then it's it's rare you're going to discover some underground band, indie band, artist uh, on a radio station. Go online, you'll discover them anywhere. What and the reason why I bring up DRE is because I learned of two things on that station in the car. I have somewhat vivid memories of those. And that is that just like Prince, 
prior to his actual death, there was a false report of his death. I think there was some kind of uh, plane emergency landing and they thought that he was, you know, and some people reported that he had died. And then, of course, subsequently he died in a different way. That was the case with Kurt Cobain, if you recall. I believe I want to say he was in Italy with the family, wife and kid, and there was a drug-related thing happening there and he almost died. It's weird to have that shock put in you and be so relieved when it doesn't happen and then for it to happen, for the death to actually happen. And I, I recall, I wanna say I was driving either in New Jersey or Pennsylvania in the car when we were listening to DRE and they broke in and announced that Kurt Cobain had died. Uh, how often do you hear these days breaking news from the radio, especially a music station and of course, it was quite appropriate that that music station did that at the time. But it's just a very vivid memory that I wanted to, uh, you know, share. Look up WDRE if you can, and uh, you'll see what I mean about the type of, you know, music that it played. Um, and yeah, you know, I made the point here that that era was so much shorter, it's so impactful. You know, if you were in touch with the underground long before and Green River and bands like that and, uh, you know, Mud Honey, I guess, you might have been, you know, clued into that type of music, which at the time was not really called grunge, long before it became popular, which good then. You had a longer experience than a lot of us did. But I will say that my awakening to this era was... Slow, not super slow. I'm usually a second wave adopter of, of anything, whether it's technology or, you know, the arts in most cases. And in this case, that's very true. I was kind of in a different phase of listening to music. And then I heard, and I talked about this before, I think a Pearl Jam song on the air and it shifted my focus tremendously. And subsequent to that, all the others, Nirvana, Soundgarden, and, and everything. And such a great era for not only that kind of music, but for the unplugged music and how, you know, I think Alice in Chains' Unplugged album is one of their greatest albums, one of their greatest vocal performances live ever captured on a recording. Uh, and certainly we all, you know, remember, if you're from that era, this one right here. Nirvana Unplugged in New York, I'm pointing to it. And no, take a look at this. I don't have all of the Nirvana, uh, you know, CDs. I don't have Bleach. I've listened to everything that they've done before and after. And I have this box set that I showed you in the box sets episode. But this is what I have in Muddy Banks of the Wish Kai. I used to have... Kurt Cobain's uh, diary book, and I got rid of it because at the time I felt kind of uncomfortable with it. There was a whole kind of swirl about it being exploitive and all that. I don't know in hindsight whether it was or not. I think that reading uh, about an artist is a personal decision, and if you're someone who benefits from you know, gaining insight into the workings of an artist, then great, and as long as it's published on the up and up, and if, and if it's not, then fuck that, and if 
And if you aren't into that, then that's cool too, because really it's only the music that should matter, which is why, like I said, I'm not going into the controversy of the death and what came after and all of that stuff. I do want to make this one comment. Uh, I'm going to make two comments, actually. One is death in music is everywhere. It's everywhere. And while there have been several high profile deaths over a 20, you know, year period, more 20 plus year period, uh, 25, maybe almost 30 in the world of grunge, that doesn't mean that their percentage of deaths and, and, uh, you know, uh, tragedies is any greater than in any other kind of music. There have been plenty lesser known people from other types of music and very, very well-known people who have died tragically. And so I think this idea that, oh, grunge is depressing music, so everyone there is depressed, so they're likely going to kill themselves or something, is again, very overblown because you can hear depressing music in folk and country and hip hop. And yes, all of those types of music have seen tragedies as well, but they are not associated with a general kind of patina of tragedy. And I think that those two things should be separated in all music so that we can just appreciate the music that was created. And then the second thing I wanna comment on because it's slightly more timely is that baby on the cover there. I would love to know your opinion of what you thought of that dude suing. And I don't know the whole story. I don't know if he was exploiting all of this for personal gain. I don't know if he was pushed to do it. I don't know if he has any personal issues. And if so, I'm very sorry to hear that. But, you know, the case was dismissed as it being, you know, for what it was and as it should have been in my mind, because it's ridiculous to say that this picture here of the floating baby was somehow exploitive or in any way traumatic at the time. If it was traumatic afterwards, I think that had a lot more to do with the family than it did with, you know, his family with the photo itself. And again, very, very sorry to hear that. And my, you know, thoughts go out, but come on, you know, that's honestly just ridiculous. So anyway, I just wanted to comment on that because this is the time to do it. Right. Uh, you know, my notes here are telling me, well, one thing I want to say is that it's easier to talk about Kurt Cobain's death than I feel like it should be. Because for so many years, the pain of realizing that a career cut short again at that magic age of 27, the 27 Club, could have provided us with so much more music of so many different kinds as well, according to Cobain himself, that it was really hard to just to think of that, especially when at the time, you know, grunge it was still ascendant in, in my mind. And this was kind of a watershed date, not only because of Kurt Cobain's death and subsequently, you know, Shannon Hoon and like that, but also because other bands were, you know, and the culture as a whole were co-opting grunge and turning it into a shadow of itself. Doesn't mean these bands and others didn't continue and create amazing music after that, and in some cases morphed out of grunge or, you know, like Pearl Jam or what have you and Stone Temple Pilots. But 
there were many, many other bands who capitalized on the sound through the O's, really. And who are, there are bands now who I wouldn't say are capitalizing on the sound, but I feel like this is a good point to bring this up. I had it later in the podcast, but it's a perfect time to, I am excited and encouraged by the fact that there's more live instrument music that is kind of slowly filtering into the pop charts, into the pop world, into popularity in general. Not because I dislike electronic music, you know I love it if you've been listening along, but because you, I never like it when the charts uh, and people's listening tastes in general are dominated by any one thing. Uh, I'm positive that when rock was all over the airwaves, I loved it and, and was also at the same time seeking out other forms of music to complement that. And that's certainly the case now. And it's interesting to me to see artists I've mentioned before, like Olivia Rodrigo and Biba Doobie and Rina Sawayana, who are taking electronic music and morphing it into uh, harder rock music. And in some cases, very effectively. And in other cases, it's an echo. And here's the thing. You do that, you know, put that into them. It's awesome. Put that into the music. But do it in a way, I think, either use it as a tool to enhance what you're already doing and to kind of bring out other aspects of your sound, which some of these artists are doing, or go all out, which some of these artists are also doing. Because otherwise, you're just an echo of the music that, you know, that came before. And again, if it's innovations done in a different way, great. But if not, then how are you ever going to achieve that, you know, visceral feeling that this original type of music, you think of a song as popular, smells like teen spirit and realize just how visceral it is still to this day with a song that is too manicured, it's too mannered, it might have the sounds and the trappings of this kind of music, but it doesn't have the energy because either of the production or the way it was uh, performed, the artist themselves uh, couldn't let go in that certain way. Doesn't mean that the music itself isn't good or in some ways just as good, but it won't have that same feel. So there's my comment. now. To the matter at hand, because why not? 20-some minutes in. I'm going to name some bands. The Monkees, R.E.M., The Beatles, The Smithereens, The Pixies. Name some types of music. Punk, heavy metal, pop. Name some aesthetics. Harsh dynamics that obscure subtle intricacies and songwriting genius. The softest vulnerabilities merge with the loudest sounds and shouts. And you know what I'm getting at. All of this has to do with Nirvana. Those bands were an influence on Nirvana. And Nirvana did for a generation of musicians and music lovers what those other bands did for Kurt Cobain, which is kind of gave a sort of permission. They reminded us that in music, as in all art, and you would hope in life, there's no such thing as, quote unquote, allowed. Do what you want in the context of it not hurting others, of course, and, and or stealing and things like that. Music, you should be able to go wherever you want with it. And, you know, any artist will tell you, most artists, 
that it took hearing something else for them to realize what was possible. So many people say that about the Beatles. So many people, you know, people as wide ranging as Ozzy Osbourne. So many people say that about the early days of hip hop. And Kurt Cobain said that about these bands, especially uh, the Smithereens and the Pixies, who kind of said, oh, this is where music could go. I'm going to try this and I'm going to add other things to it. And the reason why I also added, uh, you know, you've, I think you can hear R.E.M. actually in some of the later uh, later uh, Nirvana music. But the reason why I added the Monkees and the Beatles is not just because Kurt Cobain mentioned them, but it's because my uh, take on this music, my contention here is that Nirvana was Nirvana grunge, sure. You know, as much as anything, that era was grunge with a certain loud, soft dynamics and that crunchy kind of sound and punk mixed with 70s rock and all the things that classify grunge, however you want to classify it. And yes, that's porous and it's, it can morph into other genres right next to it because music is not a genre. Uh, but I think more than anything, and, and historically, Nirvana will be seen as power pop. Let that sink in. You know that's one of my favorite types of music. That is how I define my band Wreck as electro power pop because I need some label to help people understand. Even though it's much more wide ranging as all, you know, most music is. There's a book that I just read called Major Labels that I'm going to review eventually that takes uh, has some overlapping arguments but takes a, sort of an opposite approach to that. That's just a, kind of a footnote there. But I think Nirvana is power pop and I think Kurt Cobain would love to hear me say that because he took care to write pop songs. However they sounded, structurally, in terms of all the hooks, the way the, the amazing lyrics were written, just how the whole thing was put forth. If you get beyond the sound, as I'll say with so many kinds of music, it's a pop song. The sound makes it a power pop song. And I think that that's what attracted them to me to them more than anything were, were really two things, that visceral gut punch of, oh my God, where did this music come from? And I guess three things, that there could be such vulnerability in the midst of such harshness. But really the third thing was, you could throw those two things away, they wouldn't have captivated me if the songs themselves hadn't been amazing songs. And to this day, still amazing songs. Some uh, things, you know, deeply conscientious creation infused with fuck all abandon. And that's when I talked about how far too few artists are able to do that. We miss that sweet spot. We miss that perfect state of giving ourselves over fully to our inner truth while still respecting forms, functions, and relationships. And boy, did Nirvana do that. I mean, a lot of bands, but boy, did Nirvana really do that to give themselves over to that kind of just ripping your heart open and being that vulnerable in the context of just throwing it directly into your face and into your gut. Um, read the text for my cute little ending if you want to see what I said after that. Uh, and I would say that no album of mine, you're going to get a double bonus here at the end of this podcast. I'm actually tacking on two songs. Uh, one of which is a video and one is a song. 
So if you're watching, lucky you. If not, go seek out the video. No album of mine captures what Nirvana meant to me better than your EP. And for those of you watching, I'm running off camera because I'm going to take this here. And yes, I only put this out on cassette because I released it in 1996. There it is. I'm going to put it here into this beautiful, you know, display. This Your EP has five songs. Four of them are so clearly grunge influenced. And uh, of those four, I would say three of them maybe four, are very cl clearly Nirvana-influenced. The most would be a song that I've already shared with you at other times called Your Sweetness. There is a glitch video for that. Please look it up. But for this week, I am showcasing the song Water Baby from this album here, your EP. I guess it's an EP. Check it out if you can see it beyond the, yeah, thing of the ring light, the, the reflection. That is a song that we will clearly make you think of Nirvana. It will make you think in particular of In Bloom, I think. Uh, and I'm sorry, there's differences, of course, but you'll hear uh, that very similar beat. You'll hear the sound of the guitars themselves. You will hear it's a bit more of a pointed uh, relationship lyric then, well, Nirvana did do that, but they, they've, you know, although Kurt focused mostly on kind of inner, inner feelings, I guess you could say, but always in the context of, often, I will say, in the context of relationships, you will hear that in Water Baby. Uh, so please take a listen. And after that, stay tuned for the video from uh, an online concert I did a little while back dedicated to grunge in which I performed acoustically, just acoustic guitar, me, uh, the Nirvana song Sliver, which I think the way I performed it was sort of halfway between the their two versions of that song. If you know the band well, you know they have two versions. So I hope you enjoy those. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. What is your relationship with Nirvana? What are your thoughts and feelings and memories on Kurt Cobain and his death and on what came after, what came before? If you want to talk about some of that stuff, go for it. I, I, I would love to hear from you in any capacity. Can you enjoy the music despite how everything ended? I know that a lot of time has passed, but for some people that doesn't mean as much. Do you hear the pop in their songs. I really, really want to hear from you on that. What other bands do you feel uh, so well expressed the beautiful heartbreak of existence, the tragedy of the joy of life, if I can say it that way? I want to know what you think of all that and anything else, because as always, my objectives here are music, conversation, and connection. Thank you for listening and watching, and I will talk to you next week.
Dad went to a show, dropped me off at Grandpa Joe's, kicked and screamed, said, Please don't go. Grandma, take me home. 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 Had to eat my dinner there. Potatoes and stuff like that. I couldn't chew my meat so good. Grandma, take me home. 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 Grandpa, just stop your crying. Go outside and ride my bike. That's what I did. I killed my toe. Grandma, take me home. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. 
FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.